You know, I think one of the most iconic things uh, about American culture has to be our obsession with superheroes. And when I say the word obsessed, I don't really feel like I'm using much of an overstatement uh, because all you have to do is go check out Comic-Con in San Diego and look at the way people are dressed, and instantly you realize that the word obsessed doesn't even begin to describe it, okay? It seems like every other movie that comes out is about a world that's falling apart only to be saved by Robert Downey Jr. in a flying suit of armor with his weird bunch of friends. I mean, over and over and over again, these movies come out. It seems like every other movie is about two things. The world is about to end, the, the apocalypse is coming, but someone swoops in to save the day. And it's, it's crazy. I mean, as you all probably know, uh, Dis Disney bought Marvel Comics back in 2009, and a lot of people sort of looked at that deal and sort of wondered, what are they thinking? But here's the thing. Ever since they made that purchase, Disney has had the same philosophy about making superhero movies that the Duggars have about kids. If you make one, you might as well make 23. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it seems like every time you turn around, there's another superhero movie, one after another after another. Every six months, it's like a law now. You just, it, it pops up all the time. And, and Disney isn't the only one. I mean, Uh, other studios like 20th Century Fox and, and Warner Brothers have spent hundreds of millions of dollars revitalizing superheroes like, like Batman and Superman and the X-Men. And, and, and th this is what I find really fascinating. A lot of these fictional superheroes that we find in these movies were created more than 50 years ago by comic book writers, and yet they never seem to get old. I mean, have you ever thought about the fact that Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster in 1938, and Batman was created in 1939, and yet the movie Batman versus Superman this year in 2016, 80 years later, grossed $872.7 million. That just blows me away. I mean, If these superheroes were born the year they were created, I guarantee you watching them fight in 2016 would be pretty anticlimactic. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, they would probably just whack each other over the head with their canes and bite each other with dentures and call it a night, you know? I'd be like watching two turtles trying to wrestle. And I, and I guarantee you we would not want to pay $800 million at the box office to check that out. I know I wouldn't. But it kind of makes you think, though, right? You know, because it's been 80 years since these superheroes were created, and yet I, we're more fascinated with them now more than ever. I, I just find that super fascinating. And I don't know about you, but when I look at that, when I look at our insane fascination with superheroes, it makes me wonder why. Why do we keep coming back to the theater time after time after time to watch the same storyline play out over and over and over again? And I've been thinking a lot about that this week, and I have to say, it didn't really make much sense to me why we're addicted to superhero movies until I thought about the origin of the superhero. Did you know that the word superhero wasn't even a part of the English language until 1917? And even though, even though if you go way, way, way back in literature, even though you can find some masked vigilantes who risked life and limb to save other people like Robin Hood or Zorro, You don't really see the idea of a superhuman being coming in to save the day until the 1930s, and particularly 1938 when Superman was created. And honestly, that makes a lot of sense, and I don't think that's any coincidence, because if there was ever a year in American history where we needed a superhero, it was 1938. Do you realize that in that year, our unemployment rate was at 19%? One in five Americans was unemployed. We were experiencing the worst depression in American history. Poverty was everywhere, but that was just the least of our worries because as you know, at the time in 1938, we knew a storm was coming. 
We looked at Nazi Germany and Europe, and we looked at Japan, and we realized that they were probably not going to back down. And, that we, and, and you know, World War I was supposed to be the war to end all wars. But in 1938, we realized that a new war was coming, perhaps even way worse than the first. In 1938, we were more afraid as a nation than any time before. But that was, that was when the golden age of comic books began. It started with Superman in 1938, but do you realize that by the end of World War II, not only did we have Superman, but we have Batman and Robin, Captain Marvel, Wonder Woman, The Flash, The Green Lantern, and of course, how can we forget Captain America? We had all those superheroes by the end of World War II. Do you realize that comic book sales skyrocketed when that war started? Year after year after year, millions of comic books were being sold to kids and teenagers, all of them with a, with a superhero who could defeat any foe. And all of these comic books were about good triumphing over evil. But you know what happened at the end of the war? The idea of the superhero in comic books started to slide and started to plummet, only to be revitalized a little while later during the Cold War. And it's like whenever I look, when I realized the connection between the birth of the superhero and the times in which it was created, it was like it just clicked for me. I was like, that's it. That's the reason why the superhero was created in the first place, and that's the reason why we're obsessed with it today. Because you, this, and this is the reason. It's nice to imagine someone more powerful than what you're scared of when you live in a scary world. And that was true more than ever in 1938, but it's true more than ever in 2016, is it not? It's nice to imagine someone more powerful than what you're scared of when you live in a scary world. And I think that's even true for me because, I mean, being a guy, I mean, I like to go see movies where stuff blows up and there's lots of special effects. I mean, I'm a guy, we're wired like that, you know? But I think I also like to go see, I, I think that personally, I just like to see good triumph over evil for once after I watch the five o'clock news. I don't know about you, but that's how I feel. That's one of the things that keeps me coming back. But I don't know about you though, but the hardest part for me of any superhero movie though is the end credits. Because in the end credits, you realize that no, no matter how inspirational or encouraging or amazing or yeah, America, no matter how fired up you might get, in the end credits, you realize that it's still fake. It's still just the product of some writer's imagination who had too much to drink one night and thought, hey, it'd be cool to have a great green guy that smashes things, you know? You just realize at the end that it's all, this is not real. The world's still broken. We still need a superhero. But ladies and gentlemen, this series should be of great encouragement to all of us because this series is about the world's only non-fictional superhero. The only superhero whose power and whose fearlessness and whose invincibility are not confined to a theater screen or a page in a comic book. This series is about Captain Amazing, Jesus Christ. That's what we're here to talk about. And if, you, if you're going to be with us for the next few weeks, we're going to be taking a look at the book of Revelation. Because, you know, when you and I think of Jesus, a lot of times we, we sort of think of the meek and mild carpenter who grew up in the backwoods of Israel, who lived like a human being, who talked like a human being, who presented himself like a human being. But Revelation gives us a picture of Jesus in all his glory in heaven. And I got to tell you, it's pretty awesome because Revelation gives us a picture of Jesus who is not meek and mild Jesus, but captain of the Lord's army Jesus with eyes like fire, a voice like thunder, a face as bright as the sun and power beyond all comprehension. That is the picture of Jesus we have in Revelation, and it's awesome. 
And I think it's important to have a series about that because we live in a culture that sort of patronizes Christians just a little bit. We live in a culture that sort of, you know, that sort of pats us on the head and says, oh, you know, isn't your Jesus so nice? He was this nice religious teacher who came to teach us how to play nice and share. Let me tell you something. Revelation is warrior Jesus. Revelation is Lord of all lords, king of all kings Jesus, the kind of Jesus you don't want to mess with. And I think it's important to explore that. And I, and I, I just think it's so important because if you look at Revelation's full title, Revelation is actually oftentimes referred to as the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the star of this story. And I think it's important for us to explore that for the next few weeks. So I'm really excited. It only gets better from here because my dad gets to give the next few talks. And I guarantee you, you don't want to miss, what, miss that. It's the best series he's ever done, okay? You don't want to miss it. Uh, and I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Okay, well, let's, that was all introduction. Let's actually get to what we're, what we're talking about today. Uh, I, have got, I have a lot of flaws in my personality, but probably my top two flaws are my devotion to the Dallas Cowboys and uh, my never-ending problem with anxiety. I just have a problem with fear. I mean, probably 90% of the dumb stuff I have done in my life is because I was afraid of someone or something. It just seems to be my Achilles heel. Like, fear is always what gets me. Uh, and, and I mean, I have a fearless moment every so often. I mean, I mean I, I'm deathly afraid of getting up in front of people and speaking, and I'm still, like, I haven't fainted yet, you know? I haven't, I haven't thrown up yet. I mean, if you're in the first row, just letting you guys know, you know? Uh, you know, so I'm still here, okay? And, uh, you know, I killed a spider the other day. It was pretty awesome, you know? Like, I felt like Steve Irwin. Nature doesn't scare me anymore. I took out a spider. It was awesome. It's like, you know? Uh, and and I, I rode the Patriot without throwing up, so I feel like I'm doing okay, you know? Uh, but I've had some really embarrassing moments with fear. And I feel like, you know, I mean, there's only just like a thousand of you here in television cameras. So I feel like this story isn't going to go around, you know, if I tell it. You know, I can confide in you guys. You know, this is church. Church is good for confession, uh, even though I'm not Catholic. But well, let's not get into that. Um, but probably, probably my most embarrassing moment with fear happened last November uh, I was hanging out with my wife, Elle, and uh, we, I talked Elle into watching the most romantic date night movie ever made, uh, Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. And, uh, you know, we, we were having a pretty good time, you know, watching the movie. And, but while we were watching the movie, I just heard this popping noise outside. You know, it was like, pop, pop, pop. And I was thinking, wait, is someone making popcorn out there? And I'm not getting any. Like, what's going on here? Uh, and Elle turned to me and she was like, hey, Stephen, do, 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 you, do you know what that is? Because it's just kind of weird. And I said, oh, you know, maybe it's just like a couple teenagers out there messing with some firecrackers, you know. You know, people do weird stuff. And so we just decided to just sort of move on with their lives and just forget about it. But then all of a sudden it got super loud. It went from pop, pop, pop to pop, 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 pop. And it was crazy loud and it was like echoing off of all the buildings around us. And all of a sudden I did what any rational human being would do. Okay, I immediately went from picturing a couple teenagers messing with firecrackers to thinking a gang war was going on outside our apartment. And I'm from Andover. I know what a gang war sounds like, okay? I mean, we, we go hardcore out there, you know? I know gunfire when I hear it. I'm straight out of Andover. I come from a tough neighborhood. Uh, so... You know, so I, I decided to call the police, you know, because I thought, you know, I don't know what's going on here. So I called the police and I was like, hey, uh, you know, I, I'm hearing a lot like what sounds like gunfire out there. I don't know if there's like an active shooter, if this is domestic violence or what's going on, but something is happening out there. 
get somebody out here. And so, you know, being the, you know, the defender of the home, I was like, oh, get in the bathroom, get in the bathroom. And then I, you know, I like, I like turned off the lights to make it look like no one was home thinking that that would stop somebody. And, and then I like, I like put this, um, I like put, put a giant amplifier in front of the door thinking that would stop somebody. So I was just like in the fetal position in the bathroom waiting for Rambo to bust through the door with guns blazing. Um, and, and then the, the, the police actually called me back, which when you get a call back from the police, it's an interesting conversation. Uh, and I heard sirens during that time. So I think they might have actually responded to my call and sent out some people adding to my embarrassment. But um, as I was talking to the, to the police captain on the other line, and, and, and just letting you know, this is November, not July, okay? November, not July, just trying to defend myself just a little bit. But um, on the other end of the phone, the, I could tell the police, the police lady was trying to be as serious as possible. And she said, uh, sir, you do know that you live next to a senior center. And I said, yeah, yeah, I know I live by a senior center. Well, sir, uh, they have a fireworks show every November, and that was tonight. I'll tell you what, fear is a powerful thing, and it makes you do some really stupid, stupid stuff. But this is my point, you know, because I got to get to a point eventually. But when I look at the fear in my heart, and I look at the fact that I'm afraid, it leaves me with a really hard question. Because if I believe that Jesus is my superhero, if I believe that he can do anything and he's got the whole world in his hands and he's got it all taken care of, then why, am I, why, why do I have fear? Why am I afraid? Why do I look around at my circumstances and why does fear seem to still control me when I, when I believe that Jesus is my superhero? And, and you might be sitting out there and you're saying, well, Stephen, maybe perhaps you're afraid because deep down inside you think that you believe that Jesus really isn't the superhero that you think he is. But I don't think that's it. You know, the other day I was reading an article by Stan Lee. Uh, if you guys don't know who Stan Lee is, and by the way, that's actually a first and last name. No idea why. It sounds like just a guy named Stan Lee. But anyway, he created Spider-Man, the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, the X-Men. You name it, Stan Lee created it. And Stan wrote a piece about what is a superhero, and he gave two qualifications for being able to tell if someone's a superhero. So if you decide later today that you want to put on a mask and become you know, the next Batman, like here's the two qualifications you have to have, just letting you know. Okay, two qualifications. This is going to blow your mind. Number one, a superhero has to have a power more exceptional than any human being. I know, I just blew your mind, right? Like, no idea. Um, And here's the second qualification. He has to use them for good deeds. Stanley said, if anybody fits these two qualifications, they are a superhero. So I have firm confidence that Jesus passes both of these tests with flying colors. I mean, don't believe me, let's go to the tape. Let's go to the highlight reel. According to the Gospels, Jesus' miracles include turning water into wine, causing large numbers of fish to appear out of nowhere, and all the fishermen in the room were thinking, man, I wish I went fishing with Jesus this last week. Uh, He healed many people of leprosy and many other illnesses. He made lame people walk, blind people see, mute people talk. He told a terrible storm to disappear, and it obeyed him instantly. He cast out thousands of demons. He fed 5,000 people by multiplying only five loaves of bread and two fish. He walked on water. He took a man's ear that had been cut off, put it back on his head, and it worked. And oh yeah, he raised dead people back to life, and he himself raised from the dead. I feel like if anybody qualifies for, for being a superhero, he would definitely pass the test with flying colors. In fact, not only would Jesus be a superhero, he would be the superhero of all superheroes. You want to talk about somebody who has a power more exceptional than any human being? Oh my gosh. 
And every single time I see Jesus doing a miracle, it's always for good. So he passes Stan Lee's test with flying colors. So, so I, I don't think that the reason I'm afraid is because I, I don't think Jesus is a superhero. I, I firmly believe that he is and more. I think maybe the reason why I have fear in my heart is sometimes I look around at the world and I think, where is he now? I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I look around and I see a world that's falling apart, you know? I mean, when I watch the news, I notice that shootings in the United States have become so common, it seems like our flags fly at half-mast almost as often as they fly at full. I see Latin America being torn apart by, by, by drug wars and violence and organized crime. I see, I see an African continent that not, only has to face, that not only has to face poverty and famine now, but they also have to face perhaps the most widespread religious conflict in world history in countries like Nigeria and Libya and Egypt. And I see, I see Europe in the Middle East experiencing a wave of terrorism from ISIS that just came out of nowhere. It really did. And when I look at what's going on in the world today, I ask, where is he now? Where is my superhero now? And I don't just see darkness in the world in general, but I also see it on a much more personal level. Because I have people in my circle of friends and I have people in my family that are going through such terrible circumstances that it's even hard for me to watch them go through it. Maybe you have someone in your life like that where they're going through the kind of thing where you just can't even bear to watch. And when I look at that, I think, where is he now? Where is my superhero now? And on top of that, it gets more personal because I have a darkness inside of me that turns me into a person I don't want to be. And sometimes I feel like I need a superhero to save me from myself. And I ask myself the question, where is he now? It sort of reminds you of those Batman movies, right? You know, where the police are at the end of their rope and they realize that there isn't anything else they can do. So they shine a light into the night sky with Batman's outline on it. And I feel like when a lot of us Christians, when we look around at the world around us, it's not, we're so desperate that it's almost like we're shining a light into the sky with the outline of the cross, wanting our Savior to come back and save the day once more. That's how many of us feel. That's how I feel. But what I love about Revelation is it's the story of Jesus answering the question, where is he now? It's the story of the fact that Jesus has a day on his calendar marked to do justice. It's a story of, of the fact that Jesus has a day on his calendar mark because you see, the first time Jesus came, he came to save us from our sin. A lot of the Jews were disappointed because they felt, they felt like Jesus needed to come to save them from Rome. But Jesus came to save us from our sin the first time. The second time he comes, Jesus comes to save us from a broken world. That's what he comes to do the second time. And I love that. But in the meantime, in the meantime, when we look at this world around us, one thing that I think is very encouraging is the fact that Revelation was written by a man who probably asked the question, where is he now, many, many times. The man's name was John, and John was one of the 12 disciples. And if you ask me, I think John's story is one of the most fascinating of all the disciples. You see, John was called just like the rest of the disciples. One day, Jesus came along and saw John and his brother James fishing with their dad, and Jesus said, okay, well, do you want to be fishermen for the rest of your life or do you want to, want to do something great? And so John followed Jesus, and I'm sure he didn't really know what to do with this man named Jesus, but he noticed that Jesus was a very charismatic figure who could do amazing things. And so John said, all right, I'm in, I'm in. And then something amazing happened. Jesus and John developed the kind of friendship that not even the rest of the disciples really had. 
They became so close. In fact, Jesus treated John not just like a disciple, but really like a brother. They had something special going on. I mean, if, you, if you're ever curious about it, you know, if you ever read John's gospel, John's account of Jesus's life, John always refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. It's almost sort of John's way of saying, you know, Jesus, he tolerated the other guys. I mean, they were okay. But if you want to know who Jesus loved, that was me, you know? Some of you have a sibling like that, and you're like, I don't know about John. But he, he was a good guy. He just, he just knew that he and Jesus were close. And, and probably the greatest example of Jesus and John's friendship happened on the cross. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, John, uh, or, uh, John and Jesus' mother Mary were standing next to each other. And Jesus looked at his mother Mary and said, dear woman, pointing to John, here is your son. And he looked at John and said, John, here is your mom. And from that time on, John actually took Mary into his house and took care of her. If you want to know how close Jesus and John were, Jesus trusted John with his mother. They were close. They were very close. And John had a front row seat for all of it. I mean, John was there for the miracles. He was there for the crucifixion. He was there when they found the tomb empty. He was there for all of that. And I can only imagine because there's a point in the Bible where after Jesus' resurrection that he went back to heaven. We call it the ascension. And in that moment, these two good friends, close friends, and in that moment, they had to temporarily say goodbye. And I'm sure it was hard since they were so close. But Jesus left John with a mission. Jesus said, John, I just want you to go out to all the nations and, and, and spread your faith and let them know about what you found. And that's exactly what John did. John shared his faith after that with anybody who would listen. And from historical records and also from the Bible, we learned that John later on took on the role of being a pastor. But immediately after John and Jesus parted ways, and this is what I want to get to. This is where I really want us to hone in. Immediately after Jesus and John parted ways, a wave of persecution broke out against Christians like they had never seen before. There was, there was many Jews who saw Christians as a thorn in their side. And there was one particular Jew who was extremely adamant about murdering all Christians everywhere. His name was Saul, later called Paul. And Saul was one person after another, finding Christians and tying them up and sending them either to execution or prison. And I'm sure John was looking at this situation saying, where is he now? Where did he go? We were close. We were friends. What happened? I'm sure it was hard. And not long after that, in 64 AD, when John was in his 50s, the city of Rome was set on fire. We still don't know exactly what set it on fire, but there was an emperor at the time named Nero, and he was extremely cruel. And he decided, in order to get, he decided that he would blame the fire on Christians wrongfully. And in order to make an example of Christians, he had them thrown to hungry dogs to be torn limb, limb, limb from limb. He had Christians nailed to crosses lining Roman streets, and he also had Christians set on fire to light the streets at night. That's how evil the times had become. And I'm sure John, like many of us who watch the news about martyrs abroad, I'm sure John looked at this news and said, you know, God, I don't want to be afraid. I don't want to have fear in my life, but where is he now? Where is my superhero now? And then it got personal. A third wave of persecution broke out under the Roman emperor Domitian. And by this time, John was probably in his 80s or 90s. And John was viewed as such a threat to the empire that the, the Romans tried to boil him in oil. But he survived. Most likely God intervened. 
And, and, then, and, and because the Romans were unsuccessful, they decided to exile John to a remote island, a remote Greek island called Patmos. It's only 11 square, 11 square miles in, in size. It was this place where Rome would send people that they just wanted to get out of their hair. And that's where John lived, in exile, alone. For We don't even know how long he lived there. And I'm sure John said to himself, you know what, God, I don't want to be afraid, but where is he now? Where is my superhero now? And maybe you feel that way this morning. You know, maybe, maybe you would say, just like John, you and Jesus are close. You know, you're a Christian. You're a believer. You would say, I believe in Jesus Christ. He is my superhero. But I'm going through this thing with my kids, and they keep me awake at night, and I don't know where they are, and I don't know when they're coming home. And I'm saying to myself, where is he now? Or maybe you would say, you know what, Stephen, Jesus and I, we're close, but, you know, I have this spouse, and, and I thought we would be together forever, but they're not being faithful to me, and we're going through a divorce, and I'm just thinking, where is he now? Or maybe your health is failing, and you would say, Stephen, I thought that if I did the right thing, and if I followed God, that I wouldn't be in this position. And I wonder to myself, where is he now? Well, if that's you today, I have good news. Because right when John was perhaps the most desperate on this remote Greek island in exile, that is when Jesus showed up. That is exactly when Jesus showed up. And that is where the book of Revelation begins. And this is, and, and I'm going to start in Revelation chapter one, but this is where we pick it up. This is John speaking. He says, it was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the spirit. Suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And when I turned to to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. The Son of Man is always a term to refer to Jesus. John is seeing Jesus for the first time in 60 years. And this is where we get a picture of the glorious appearance of Jesus. It says, he was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand. And a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. I mean, can you imagine this? seeing Jesus in all his glory. And look at what happens next. John said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. John was basically saying it was too much for me to take in. I couldn't even process it all. So he just fainted on the spot. But check this out. And this is where we get into the sermon. Jesus, John said, but he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, John. I am the first and the last. Now I have to stop it right there because this is where Jesus starts to talk to all of us who feel fear today. All of us who feel afraid. All of us who are asking the question, where is he now? And I think it's awesome. Notice that the first thing Jesus says to John after 60 years of silence is don't be afraid. You might be sitting there and you're saying, you know what? It seems like I haven't heard from God in a long time. You know, I'm a believer, but it seems like God and I, there's some kind of rift there. But I think just like when Jesus told John this after 60 years of silence, I feel like if Jesus could speak to all of us today, the first three words out of his mouth would be, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And I love what Jesus says next. And this is where we really get into it. He says, I am the first and the last. This is Jesus saying the first thing that those of us who are afraid today need to hear. 
The first thing that we need to, that, that, that Jesus is telling us today is that he has the last word. You know, when, when Jesus is talking about being the first and the last, you know, in, in the Bible, it makes it clear that Jesus was there in the beginning when everything was right. And, that, and, the, and Jesus is saying, look, I was there when there was no death and no sin and none, nothing, none, none, anything, not anything like that. I was there. I am the first, but I will also be there in the end. You know, DVR is a wonderful thing. This is how you know I'm ADD. I just went from Jesus to DVR. But I'm a huge Dallas Cowboys fan, and I love football, and football is like the only sport I keep up with. So I love DVR because I can record a game and I can, you know, I can watch it later um, without having to miss it. But I'm a little bit impatient, you know? So I, I'm one of those people that checks the score on my phone before I even watch the game that I, you know, recorded to watch later. But here's one, one thing I've noticed. If I know that my team wins, which I'm a Cowboys fan, so it doesn't happen very often, but I know, but I know that when my team wins, it's so much easier to watch the game, you know? I mean, the refs could make terrible calls. You know, they can, they can make one call after another that's just awful, or some of the other players on the other team might be doing their taunting thing when they make a good tackle or they make a sack, and, and I'm just like, yeah, whatever, you know, keep taunting. You end up losing at the end of the day, you know, and Tony could throw an interception, and I'll be like, you know what, Tony, that's all right. This isn't the first time. It's okay, you know? And, and at the end of the day, I just have a pretty good old time because no matter what happens in the game, no matter how many times we get behind, I know who wins, you want to know what Jesus is saying to John when he says, I am the first and the last? He's reminding John of who wins at the end of the day. You know? And, and what I love about this, if you, look, if you look at the whole idea of Revelation, Jesus is saying, look, in the very beginning, I was there. At the very beginning of John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it's talking about the fact that in the beginning, Jesus was there. Jesus said, I was there before the world was broken, but I will also be there in the end. And when the smoke clears, and when all the persecution, and all the troubles, and all the diseases, and all the death have passed away, I will have the final say. It doesn't, matter what, it doesn't matter what the news networks say. It doesn't matter what the leaders of our country say today. Jesus is saying, I have the last word. I am the first, but I am also the last. Many of us Christians agree that God is the God of the beginning, but we need to start remembering that he's also the God of the end. You know what I'm saying? You know, I like to skip to the end of books a lot because I'm ADD, you know, I think it's genetic. My dad's ADD, I'm ADD. Uh, I'm probably like ADD times 50, but... I like to skip to the end. If you skip to the, at the end of the Bible, you find some really cool stuff. Towards the end of the, the very end of the Bible, this is in Revelation, John says this. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. This is John's way of saying that they won't be asking, where is he now anymore? And I love this. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow, or crying, or pain. All these things are gone forever. That is how the story ends, ladies and gentlemen. That is how the story ends, because Jesus is saying, I'm the first and the last, and in the very end of days, all the brokenness of this world will be made right. And I love that. How differently would we live if we realized who wins in the end? And we thought about that. You know, maybe, that, maybe the call doesn't go our way. Maybe the game turns against us. Maybe we've got some place where, where we feel like the whole thing is rigged against us. But at the end of the day, if we know who wins, we can face anything. We can face anything. Here's the second thing that Jesus is saying. 
He has faced our fears for us. You know, when I get up here and I talk about Jesus being the first and the last, you might be sitting there saying, well, you know what, Stephen, I find that encouraging, but what do I do now? Like, what do I do today? In the meantime, before Jesus comes back, what do I do with all the fears that I have? Well, let's go back to Jesus and John's conversation. John said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead, but he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. Here's what I want to get to. Jesus says, I am the living one. I died. That's important. I died. But look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. I just want to focus on that last statement real quick where Jesus said, I died. But look, I'm alive. You know, uh, you know how I said earlier that World War II was the golden age of comics? Well, it was during that time that a superhero called Captain America came on the scene. And the story of the very first Captain America comic book is pretty fascinating. You know, uh, in 1940, it was the year before Pearl Harbor, and a lot, of, a lot of people in our country thought that we shouldn't get involved in the war and that it really wasn't our fight. But there was a couple cartoonists. One of them was Joe Simon, and the other one was Jack Kirby. And these two cartoonists were keeping an eye on what was going on in Europe. And they, and they, they were keeping an eye on what was going on with Adolf Hitler because they, they, they looked at the speeches that he, was, that he was giving, and they watched what he was doing in Europe. And these two cartoonists, they just thought, oh, my gosh, this guy is just a terrible human being. Why, why as a country are we not rising up to fight him? And I think these two cartoonists started to realize that one of the reasons why our country didn't want to get involved is there was this growing, growing fear of Hitler. In fact, probably at the top of, the, of our list of fears as a nation in that time, there was Adolf Hitler. He represented the sum of all fears. And these two cartoonists were thinking, wouldn't it be nice if someone just punched him in the face? And so... Not only did these cartoonists decide to create an all-American superhero, but they decided that the very first issue of Captain America comics should have Captain America punching Hitler in the face with this caption, smashing through Captain America came face to face with Hitler. Basically, these two cartoonists were saying, you know what, Hitler represents the sum of all of our fears, so wouldn't it be nice to just check out some guy punching him in the face and taking him out so we know that we don't have to be afraid of anything else? You want to know why as Christians we shouldn't be afraid? You know what Jesus is saying when he said, I died? He's talking about the cross. And on the cross, Jesus smashed through every obstacle to come face to face with the sum of all of our fears in this room called death. And Jesus came face to face with him and he conquered it and he punched it in the face and he's victorious. And he says, you know what? I died. I faced your worst fear, but look, I'm alive. I took it out. I destroyed it. You know? And here's the thing, we as Christians, we might look around and see some things that we believe are legitimate to be afraid of, but if Jesus has already defeated the sum of all of our fears when he defeated death and Satan and hell, then we don't have anything to be afraid of. The worst that our world could do is to take our lives, but even if they took our lives, Jesus has defeated death, so we win. We win. And I love that. I love that so much. And here's the last point. Jesus is communicating that he is present. You know what I think encouraged John the most that day on Patmos? I think what encouraged John the most is just the fact that Jesus was there. Just the fact that Jesus was talking to him after 60 years of not hearing from him. 60 years is a long time. But today we're in 2016, and it's been 2,000 years since Jesus walked the face of the earth. And a lot of us are saying, you know what, it's been a long time since we've heard from Jesus. 
Is Jesus still present? Is he still with us? And some of you are saying, you know what, Stephen? I'm going through the fire right now. I'm being put through the fire right now. And, and I need to know, is Jesus present in my situation? Because I feel like I'm going through the fire. You know what? I was just thinking this week about something. I was thinking, is there any other time other than Revelation where Jesus appears in a glorious form and not just like the carpenter Jesus? And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, I've heard this story a million times. I've even seen the VeggieTales version. <laughs> and I instantly thought about a story that I'm sure you all have heard about. In the book of Daniel, there was a few guys, three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and just like us in 2016, for them, it had been a long time since they had heard from God. In fact, they were in the middle of a season that Israel was going through where a lot of people thought God had abandoned them. When you read in Exodus about God parting the Red Sea and all those amazing miracles, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were born hundreds of years later. And I'm sure, and they were taken from their home in Israel to the most wicked place on the face of the planet. They were taken to Babylon. And I'm sure they thought to themselves, where is he now? Why are we in this situation? We shouldn't even be here. But they decided to have faith anyway. They decided to believe anyway in the presence of God. And they tried to lay low, but one day Nebuchadnezzar, man, I bet that was hard to spell in kindergarten. But one day, one day Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he put up this 90-foot statue in Babylon. And he said, if you don't bow to the statue, I will have anybody thrown into the furnace who does not bow. And these three, and even when everybody else decided to bow down to the statue, these three guys decided to stand up. Man, they, they must have, my dad always says, they must have looked pretty tall in a sea of rear ends. Everybody else was bowing down and they decided to stand up. But here's what happens, you know? Some of you might have experienced something like this. They got called into the principal's office, you know? They got called to the king's office and King Nebuchadnezzar looked at them and, 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 and Nebuchadnezzar said, if you don't bow down right now, I'm throwing you in that furnace and not just that, I'm gonna heat it seven times hotter and you're gonna dissolve as soon as we throw you in there. And I love their reply. If you're thinking today, if you're saying, you know what, it's been a long time since I've heard from God and I'm wondering if he's still present, look at what these guys replied. They said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. You know what? We live in a culture that keeps putting us on the defensive. They say, we need to defend ourselves for this and defend ourselves for that and apologize for this and apologize for that. Maybe it's about time we stop defending and stop apologizing and start living in the presence of God and say, you know what? We've got someone to defend us for us. We don't need to defend ourselves. We've got someone to take care of that for us. And look at what they say. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve, check this out, is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Basically, they're saying, you know what? We believe that Jesus is present in this room. So you know what? You can threaten, you can threaten us. You can say whatever. We believe that he's here and he is able to save us. And if you want to know what happens next, it's pretty cool. The three guys, they were, thrown into, they, they were thrown into the fire. And here's the thing. The Bible never says that as Christians, we won't go through fire. It just says we don't go through it alone, you know? And these three guys, they were thrown into the fire, and the furnace was so hot, it killed the guys who threw them in. But look at what happens next. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look! Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men 
unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a God. This is how we know. This is what's called a Christophany. This is an appearance of Jesus in a glorified form even before he walked the earth. Jesus showed up in the fire. You know what? You might be going through the fire today and you're saying, you know what? It's been a long time since Jesus was here last and I'm not sure if he's present. Here's the thing. Like I said before, the Bible never says that you won't go through fire, but it does say that you don't go through it alone. If you're going through the fire today, you might feel like you're the only one there. But here's the thing. Jesus has a way of showing up and reminding you that he is present that he is here and he is here with you. And maybe today you're saying, you know what, where is he now? He's here. The Bible says, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Jesus is here in this room today and he loves you. And if you're saying, you know what, I need a superhero, but I've never made that connection. I've never reached out to him. He loves you so much today, no matter where you've been, no matter what your background is, no matter what you've done, he loves you and Jesus wants to be your superhero this morning. The question is, is will you let him? Will you let him walk around in the fire with you? Will you let him? Will you all pray with me real quick? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the the boldness and the courage that you give us through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for, for sending him into this world to remind us that we don't have anything to fear anymore, that we don't have anything to be scared of because you've taken care of it. Thank you so much, Father. With every head bowed and every eye still closed, I just want to extend an invitation to you all because maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, you know what, Stephen, I'm hearing what you're talking about and I know what you're saying, but, you know, I don't think I've made that connection before. I don't think I've really reached out to Jesus, but I know that I need, I need a superhero in my, in my life and I know that he's it. If that's you, I just want to pray, pray a prayer with you real quick. These aren't magic words. These are just calling out to, to God and saying, yes, I, I want Jesus in my life. If that's you, I want to pray with you real quick and you can just repeat this after me or say it silently to yourself. And this is just calling out to God saying, yes. Heavenly Father, I know that I've done wrong things. I know that I've messed up. But I believe that you sent your son to die on the cross for me. And I believe that that he rose from the grave. And I believe that what he did on the cross paid for my sin. Come into my life and change me from the inside out. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. And, and, and if you just pray with me, uh, I, uh, I've, uh, you can fill out, uh, you can check a box on the talk to us card that says you just pray to receive Christ and you can take it back to guest services back there and they'll give you a packet uh, that's got a DVD in it and a book about your new decision and also a coupon for a free Bible. So thanks again for joining us for week one of Captain Amazing. Have a great day.